Welcome to the Ethos Podcast, where we chat about Web3 and how it applies to consumer brands. My name is Matias Marquez, and I'm the CEO of Ethos, a company that is on a mission to accelerate the world's mass adoption of digital assets by humanizing, simplifying, and facilitating rich experiences for brands and their customers. In this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Julie Bogle, who is a partner with Borden Ladner Gervais LLP. Julie is a member of BLG Securities and Capital Markets Group and Cryptocurrency and Blockchain Group. During our chat, we touch on topics such as the regulation of Web3 and digital assets, Julie's personal work within the legal side of the blockchain industry, and more. I hope you enjoy. Julie. Hey. Great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. A lawyer in our offices, and (laughs) for a good reason. This is good. Um, Really excited to have you on, and um, I know... Folks that watch and have uh, followed us have asked a lot of questions on the legal side, um, and I'd love to get your thoughts and just all of it. So maybe I'll just start with um, who's Julie and how did you get into this uh, whole blockchain, NFT, digital asset space? All right. Um, Oh, I love that question because uh, I think it's important to work with people that kind of really have been through the ups and downs. And so I first got involved with crypto at the time uh, in 2017. So I took one of the first Canadian crypto companies public uh, by way of an RTO onto the CSE. And then we did uh, financing for them. And then we did some M&A transactions. So basically, I got exposed just like any other client. You know, this is stuff that I do that's in my wheelhouse, but it was in a new industry. And but what was so interesting about it is just the way that they approached things and that they were kind of constantly pushing the envelope in terms of what they're wanting to do and what the industry really could do. So then I continued to kind of track that client, help them out with different things here and there. And then in 2020, when things really started to boom, I started to personally invest because I wanted to have a better understanding of like, how does this really work? What are the pain points that their customers are seeing? Or how does the, like, I wanted to be able to be a real trusted advisor and give them strategic advice. So I, you know, I signed up for a bunch of different platforms. I invest and it really opened my eyes to the world of digital assets. At that time, also, there was more and more regulation kind of coming in, and we at BLG have a really strong securities regulatory group. So I started working with them, trying to navigate, like, how do we how do we go through this? How do we advise our clients? How do we advise things that are called crypto asset trading platforms, or a lot of people colloquially called exchanges? Um, so it was really cool. I've had some really a wide variety of experiences with different players in the industry, uh, but it all stemmed back from, you know, bread and butter securities law for me, which is, you know, go public transactions, corporate finance, and M&A. Wow. So a big client shows up and it, you find it really interesting and you just kind of start educating yourself. And then I guess maybe some of that's luck too, because the timing would have been perfect, right? Because, you know, fast forward a couple of years and BLG is now known for being very much in the space and kind of leading the charge on, on all the legislation and everything that's kind of coming to be. Well, one thing that was neat about it, it wasn't just this one client. We also were helping with First Block, which did one of like the first registrations. Like there was a couple of firsts that BLG was involved with because of our, you know, deep regulatory experience. Um, and it was, yeah, it is a bit of a right place at the right time. But, you know, in 2020, I just decided to go really deep and just really try to become and know, learn as much as I could about this industry and this space, go to different conferences, meet people. And that's, it, I love where it's taken me because like now yeah. I'm more into the metaverse. I'm more into learning about AI. Like I'm more into taking, l- looking at emerging industries and seeing how we can add value because change is happening and I want to be there to help clients through this because it's tricky stuff. 
Do you think there's something like why why has BLG had like like this position and and was it something within BLG that that gave you that opportunity to like expand into this area? Um, is it something BLG strategically was thinking of, or was it just like some, something other than that? Well, one of the first kind of basics that you have to figure out when you're looking at um, digital assets is like how are they classified, and one of the first questions you ask is is it a security or is it a derivative? And BLG has like the best derivatives team mm. in the country. So we were well positioned to answer that question, to help figure out as new products come on. And, and even like one thing that I just love is that an asset can shift over time. So like Ethereum can start out as a security and become sufficiently decentralized that it becomes eventually like a commodity yeah. or something, like, you know? And I think that's so cool because when else have we seen that happen before? Like I don't know of other examples of that. So like being part of an industry that, pushes the legal boundaries and makes me think not just okay which box do you fit in but how how does this use case work and like actually working with you and and the strategic advice and value that we can give like I've got a, an MBA as well so I really love the yeah. business side and being able to kind of men, meld all of that together it's just it's a, such a great exciting space to be part of I, I get it I get it now because if your experience in derivatives you were able to look at this with a more like you'd have more understanding right away of, of what this is and what it could be. Or um, how the regulators are looking yeah, at it, right? Yeah. And then like, so you take that, which is, you know, primarily our investment management team. And then you m m take and you put together the rest of our group. So the M&A, the corporate finance, all the other pieces that fall into what a business needs. I and mean, you kind of have now this like true full service shop of people that are hungry and interested in an emerging space. So interesting. Um, and then, so if you if you rewind the clock back to then, now we talk about digital assets. Now we talk about Web three. But back then, it was really just crypto. Yeah. So, so maybe share with us like what your view was back then when it was really just crypto, and and what crypto means now, and what Web three means, and and how it all kind of comes together. So my touch point in two thousand seventeen was a few companies. And then in turn, a few executive teams. Mm. And so it really was interesting because it was like learning about like, what is Bitcoin and the philosophy behind yeah. it? And like kind of really educating myself on like this alternative, almost financial system, right? And so I really liked working with people that looked at the world differently and that were trying to make a difference and that were trying to make a difference for the better. So I kind of had a very micro um, exposure at the beginning. And then fast forward to 2020, and all of a sudden there's all these other players, there's new products yeah. that have come in, and, and, and then it just kind of like, you feel like you're on a little bit of a roller coaster where it's going up and up and up, and then the crashes that have happened over the last year, like it's been, the world is so different now than it was in 2017 mm -hmm. in such a short span. And you know, when people were saying, okay, well with FTX and all these other things, this, this is a lot. Um, I think what's happened with digital assets is you have the same normal cycles that happen in other industries, but it's compressed. So instead of having a cycle ha occur over, you know, let's say 10 years, it feels like those cycles are occurring over you know, five years, mm -hmm. four years. And so it's just those highs and those lows faster. really hit a lot harder. Yeah, and everything seems to be happening way faster. And I know AI is only going to, I mean, it's going to accelerate things, not, not, not slow things down. So... Back in 2017, 2018, people are, some folks are thinking about crypto. And then, like, something like Ethereum or Bitcoin, 
just for the folks listening, are they securities? Are they commodities? Did they start <laughs> off one way? Have they changed? Um, do we not know yet? What, what, what's the kind of like legal view? So the legal view, I mean, for the most part, is that there's kind of four coins that are not securities, and that would be Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and uh, Bitcoin Cash, I think. Sorry, there's there's one more. Okay. Um, and those are primarily not traded as securities. So they're commodities. They're, they're sufficiently decentralized. Um, and then with every other token, every other coin, you kind of have to go through an analysis based on its use case. I should say token, coin, NFT. You know, people are trying to put things and give things certain names to make them be classified in a certain way. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to their use case. So I don't know if you remember in like 2017, there was like the ICO boom and there was lots of talk about yeah, like yeah. what is a utility token and whatnot. And where that really stemmed from was, is it a security token? And therefore you have to follow all the rules as, as a security. Yeah. And what those rules are is it's like, kind of think about like a share issuance. You know, if somebody issues a share, it's they, a yeah, yeah. And, and they either need to have a prospectus so that people can make an informed decision or there's certain rules that they have to follow to have a prospectus exemption. So ICOs were trying to get around that, being like, oh, we can just now raise a bunch of money for our project, not have to follow securities laws, get all this money, and then hopefully build the project. But sometimes they were pump and dumps. But that, and that was very equity-like, right? Yes, yeah. very equity-like. And then the concept of, okay, but what if it's a utility token? So what if it's more like something akin to a gift card? Yeah. Or what if it's more like something akin to a membership? Yeah. Where you need this token to be able to enter a platform, and maybe you can use this token on a platform, but it's like locked within a platform. But that's not equity-like. But then right. it's not equity-like, yeah. right? So same thing with NFTs, same things with like coins. Like, you know, if, if you look at something, like who owns it? Like if you look at... Um, Dogecoin, is it owned by 50% of like the founder and his friends mm. and family and then the rest is kind of s distributed amongst public or is it widely distributed? So is it fair to think the more something looks and feels equity-like, the more chances it's a security and the more, the less it's equity-like, the more it's a, it's, it's a commodity? That's, I think that's like a simplified way of thinking about it, but yeah, that's fair. There's like, there's an actual test that you go through to figure out if it's a security or not. And it's basically really, is it an investment contract? Are people buying it and have with the expectation that there will be a profit or gain down the road? Or are they just buying it for Got their it. own use and enjoyment? Yeah. Makes sense, right? And, and I, I get th there should be some if it hits a certain type of criteria, it should be a security. If it hits another type of criteria, it should be a commodity. It makes it hard, though, for the lawyers and everybody to kind of like figure this out. Um, where does this go? And, and I also want to ask you your views on NFTs and are they securities? What makes them look like a security? What makes them not? Um, but yeah, but maybe where does this go first? Um, Sorry, where does what go? What do you mean? Just like the idea of things, they can be, some cohort of them can be securities, some of them could be uh, commodities. Um, do you think we get clear lines? So that partially is being determined by the rules that different exchanges or crypto asset trading platforms are following. So basically right now, um, eventually all of the CTPs, crypto asset trading platforms, are going to have to be registered and most of them, if not all, are going to have, well, they all have to be IROC dealers. So there'll be certain rules that they have to follow in terms of their policies and procedures and what can or cannot be traded on that platform. 
And so as they go through these processes, they are kind of helping and working with the regulators to determine which coins can and cannot be on those platforms. So those four coins I mentioned before, those are kind of well known that that's okay to trade on their platforms. And then they have to do their own assessment as to any additional coins that they're going to list, whether they are securities or whether they are- Got it. Yeah, a security or derivative or not. And so if they're a security or a derivative, they can't trade them on the platforms. Um, without following other rules. Uh, but it's tricky because, you know, you look at Luna before the collapse, and I think some people, well, definitely people classify that as not a security or a derivative. Yeah. But then you look at it after the collapse, and, like, the fact that it could collapse, collapse makes it feel like a security. It's like, was it actually? Like, because, yeah. and, and that question came down to was it so controlled by a small enough group? that it could crash. Makes a lot of sense. And now I, I now I really get why the government came out and said, hey, Bitcoin and Ethereum are not securities because I feel like they're, they are decentralized enough. Yeah. Um, where they are effectively a commodity at this point. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So in terms of NFTs, um, we're out working with consumer brands, helping them create cool represent physical digital representations of the products, giving them giving their customers special access to things. So we're we we think we're very clearly in the this is not a security camp. Um, but just NFTs in general, are NFTs securities? And if some are, what makes them a security? And, and are there lines yet um, on this stuff? Yes, there's for sure lines, mm-hmm. and it's and I think it's important to realize that an NFT is not one thing or another the use of the NFT makes it one thing or the other. And so people, if people are selling NFTs for the purpose of raising funds for their project, and if people are buying those like NFTs yeah. for the, <clears throat> with the expectation that like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna fund it early on, and then this platform is gonna be worth more, and then therefore my NFT is gonna be worth more, mm. and then I'm gonna sell it. Well, like what's different between that and like a security token? Yeah and the ICO boom, right? But if they're selling an NFT because it represents some art that people just are like, this is super cool, I wanna have this in my wallet, or if they're selling an NFT because it's going to gain access to an exclusive community and you know it, there's no secondary trading of that, then it's also likely not a security. So it all it's the same rules that apply to tokens, um, and, and because of that, I don't really know if there will be a lot more clarification mm. on NFTs because like, it, it, it's not really going to create anything new. Um, all that it might do is maybe it gives some new words that we can throw on. You know, just like we can put security token, utility token. Like we could do like security NFT, utility NFT. But I don't think yeah. it really helps the user. It, it's what it's being used for. But mm-hmm. this is actually really helpful because if someone's issuing an NFT and they are issuing it in, in the idea of it's going to be worth more and it's funding something that's going to be ultimately turn out to be more money for the NFT holder, then that sounds like a security, right? But if it's if it's somebody issuing a, a digital representation of a product that gives them access to some membership or access to an event or something, that is like, that's like a concert ticket, right? I mean, yes. it, it, it's completely not a security. So um, that, that's really helpful because like, like, you know, we've always thought of it that way, but the way you explain it makes it very clear, at least in, um, in, in my mind. Well, and the ticket is such a good example. Mm-hmm. Like a number of people have kind of forecasted that like Ticketmaster is going to move to everything just being issued by NFTs. Like it's just going to be a digital representation of a ticket yeah. that is going to be traded around, but it's not, you're not issuing that ticket to then be able to trade yeah. for at a later date for more money. Like you're no, you're issuing that ticket because you want to have access to something else. 
Yeah, it's like if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, yeah. it's a duck, if it, right? Um, so the brands we work with, um, what they're doing is is very much not a security. They're helping, the, they're trying to get closer to their customers or creating community for their customers or offering digital representations of the products. But in, in the, for the ones listening that are, one, are wanting to just triple and make sure that they're not issuing a security, what are some best practices so it's it's, when they're offering an NFT, it doesn't come off at all like a security? So, I mean, the best thing I would say is just pay for a lawyer and have them run through the Pacific Coin test with you and just make sure that they understand the full use case and the money flow and, and, and they also understand the customers. Because it's in terms of the laws that will apply, it's not just about where you're situated or your business is situated, it's also about where your customers are situated and how and the rules that will apply to them. Because if it, if it is considered a security to them, you might have other rules. So there might be reasons why you want to restrict sales to certain jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I would just say, you know, just talk to your lawyer. It won't be, it shouldn't be a significant um, undertaking. And I think it's just really worth making sure that you're set up. And that's honestly, it's something that we do. We help, you know, global brands that want to come into Canada and want to do something within the digital asset space, they'll hire firms from around the world and say, okay, what's the Canadian analysis mm-hmm. here? And it's not just securities. We'll look at privacy, like we'll look at other items, we'll look at um, AML compliance because we, they just want to make sure that what they're doing is on the up and up. That's and right. there's definitely ways to make it on the up and up. Um, so I, I would say if they want to make sure that they're not trading or creating a security or trading a security, you know, make sure that there's not an expectation of profit. Um, make sure that it's it's actually has a utility. It's not just a thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, like a front. <clears throat> I guess I yeah. would say. Yeah, no, for sure. And counsel and advice is always a good a good thing to suggest for sure. Um, but yeah, when when we're talking to brands and, and they have talked to their legal teams and whatnot, it, it's really just like listen. Don't make it look equity-like, right? Don't promise any future gains because yeah. it's, 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 that's not what this is about anyway. And the good news is, like, if you're offering utility and it's creating a sense of community for your customers, it's no different than a loyalty program. It's no different than a gift card, yeah. it, right? And, I mean, another <clears throat> easy one is don't have it available on a secondary trading platform. Yeah. You know, like, keep it locked into the specific. So, it, so if it's an access to a website, an exclusive website, that then can be, like, redeemed within the website, great. But if you can take it off of that website and trade it elsewhere, then you kind of, like, you blur the lines a so little bit more. a little bit more here. But what the nice thing is there's different types of blockchains, right? So you can pick which blockchain, and some support secondary transactions and some don't. Um, but, yeah, it, it, I think it's, like, for me, I try to boil it down to what's the, like the simplest way to look at it. And I really do think that if you're – your intention really matters, right? Like if yeah. you're just trying to create uh, an, ex- an, an experience for your customers, then that's not equity-like. But but if someone else is trying to issue an NFT to like raise money for a company or raise money for some sort of project, then that does feel equity-like. And that's okay. <clears throat> like it's okay to raise money and it's okay to use NFTs to raise money. You just have to follow different rules yeah, because you're right. raising money. That's right. You know, and, and it's not a big deal. Like it, we and we can help you through that or there's lots of ways to get around that or not get around that. There's lots of ways <laughs> to comply with those rules. That's right. It's just, again, I, I, I think it's hard when NFTs first came out, people were kind of like, it's okay, it's not a security. It's like, well, no. It can't be that blanket term on anything. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because anything could be a security, right? And, and anything could not be also. Um, really interesting. So the, what are the differences between Canada and the U.S. on this stuff? I know, the way that, I know we're taking broad strokes on a lot of this stuff, but are the broad strokes similar in Canada and the U.S.? 
Yes, in terms of the test for what is a security or what isn't. Um, it, it's called slightly different, but it's basically the same test. Um, I think the biggest difference in Canada is there's a lot more regulatory certainty uh, in terms of who is the overseeing body. So in Canada, it's the various securities commissions and then in turn IROC. Um, and in the States, there hasn't been that same sort of regulatory certainty in terms mm-hmm. of who's going to be the governing body. And because there's been a bit of a political plays going on, um, I think it's really just hindered the clarity in that market. And the other thing that's so tough is that, you know, in Canada, a lot of our capital needs come from the States. Like mm-hmm. we need U.S. investors if we get to a certain size. or And so we can't just, you know, ignore we can't just say let's just do everything up here in canada yeah Yeah. but we can say that you know we're doing everything completely compliant and and especially on like the security test like we can be pretty confident that it's going to work just fine it's just we don't know what other regulatory uh requirements may come up in the states got it i think it's helpful i think canada's actually it's a smart thing in terms of having more clarity because we're operating in canada and it is nice to at least have you know a a a, a broad framework on okay if we def- if we do these things it's not going to be a security and if we do these things um you know we're following these types of best practices um and then we also know i guess what i'm saying is like there's more clarity where in the u.s it, it is it is odd that it's so murky yeah, I don't. Right? I don't know how murky it is, but or rather, you just don't know what you're gonna have to deal with down the road if yeah. you're operating in the states. Um, and, and and to be fair, like Canada, I think had to get ahead of the game because of Quadriga, right? Quadriga kind of happened in our yeah. background or in our backyard, and then the regulators were like, "Hey, we got to deal with this," and so they were very proactive. And I think that they were one of the first to really come out and provide guidelines to the industry. And what and they were smart because their point was to protect retail investors mm-hmm. to make sure that there was no more um, abuse of people. And so they focused first on exchanges to make sure that, or crypto asset trading platforms to make sure that they were. Uh, had the proper procedures in place, had the proper accounting in place, like did all the things to make sure that Canadian retail investors were protected. So where does it go from a, like a, regu- a regulatory perspective? And like, I guess I, you know, the people that are in this space believe in it a lot. Like I, I think everything that we own will be registered on a blockchain one day. And I think we'll have more ownership over our digital things. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover between here and there, but does it get easier from a, a legislative and a, like a regulation perspective? Like, will it be will the next five years be easier for us to understand what the regulational environment is versus the past five years? I I don't think so. Only <laughs> because I don't think that this industry is just going to stay static, right? We're constantly coming up with new products and new things, and and that's part of the challenge that the regulators have mm-hmm. is to play. They're constantly playing catch up. And one of the other issues, because they're playing catch up, is they're trying to fit new products and new ways of doing business models into old Mm. frameworks, because that's the best that they can do given the time crunch and given everything, right? If if there was going to be no evolution in the digital assets over the next five years, (laughs) then yeah, in five years, we might have like a a much more, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but we're not, we're going to have, I don't even know what's going to come. But one thing I am excited about is that I think that you're right, that blockchain technology is going to be integrated into a lot more business uses and so i think that we're just going to see not just you know crypto 
advancements and, and, and evolutions of products that have to do with trading, but we're going to see a lot more technological advances and use cases. 100%. And that's why I hope it gets easier from a, like a regulation perspective, because it does like it's needed. And for sure, when people are doing things that look like securities, they need to be heavily regulated because yeah. securities need to be regulated, right? Yeah. Um, but, it, but if people are doing stuff to get people to come to concerts or people are doing things to create better loyalty, yeah. like, like you, you don't want that to get kind of mixed in, right? Because you want, you want to have clear lines so people can really run in their own kind of lanes. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm optimistic. I think that will happen um, even with all the change. So there was a, a quote, um, I, I forget who said it, but they were like, do you know the protocol that Instagram runs on? Like, right. No, not at all, right? Mm. We're in, in this space, the people in the know in the space are so into like name dropping and yeah. the nomenclature and like I'm on this blockchain and this and that. Like the mass people population doesn't care what the infrastructure looks like so i almost think that we're kind of getting in our way a little bit big time and i think that there we'll 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 get out of our way like we'll figure it out um and and then we're gonna see really the adoption because it's going to be integrated into products and services that already exist and i think i think starbucks did that really well where like i don't think that they really called it an nft but it was an nft and it's like it's just now part of their loyalty program and that clearly isn't a security right i mean it's like you're a part of the starbucks loyalty program and you get like this extra little thing because you did something right i mean that i think it is an nft it is but they don't, they're not like yeah. touting it out and putting it out there as. And so I think the, the more that we see brands doing that, I think the, the greater adoption we're yeah. going to have. I think you're right. I think I think two things can be right. I think reg, the regulation can get more complex in the future because of change. But I think the lane that we're in, where it looks like the Starbucks model, um, is actually going to get really clear. Where it's like, hey, this is like these are just rewards to customers yeah. um, and engagement around customer behavior and that type of thing. Um, it does want to bring me to, to a point. So we call NFTs digital assets. Like like that's what we call them. Um, NFTs feels too technical. Okay. Um, and digital assets really re- has resonated with us and, and the customers we're working with. Yeah. But you call them digital assets too. Um, so so what's what's your thought on the term digital asset and also the term NFT and also like just the terms in general? So I see digital assets as like a much broader term than okay. cryptocurrency or NFTs or specific uses or tokens, right? And so I would say that NFTs are a digital asset, but so is Bitcoin. And so there's lots of different types. And I think that the nice thing about digital assets is it also, because of that umbrella concept, it will capture new products that we haven't thought of yet. For sure. Um, and, and I do think that NFTs is like a moment in time that we are using that term. And like like I said, like as that as that use starts being integrated more and we, we can start dropping that term mm-hmm. a bit more. Yeah. You know, I was with a friend. I was out at NFT NY and, and she's still in the payment space. And uh, we were talking about Venmo. And like imagine how much traction Venmo would have gotten if they were named themselves and talked about the underlying rails and Swift and like the way the money was moving. Right. Right. It's like what's Venmo? Venmo is the ability to transfer money to somebody. Right. And uh, I think you're right. I think this whole industry has gotten too hung up on the technical terms and the rails and the just the the infrastructure. Um, probably because it's like interesting, but it's also not doing anyone any favors. Um, no, but I mean, I see where it comes from in the sense that there's a lot of people that have spent a lot of time in this space and have educated themselves. And, and I think they're just they're trying to commu- communicate as clearly as possible with their peers. It's just to the exclusion yeah. of others. And I think we're just going to have we're going to get to some tipping point where the nomenclature is going to change 
so that we can bring more people into the space. Yeah, and I think the, the Starbucks example is bang on. I mean, the, a lot of the co- clients we're working with, it's not about what the technology is. It's what yeah. can this create for the customer, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I think I think everyone's in support of that. Um, so, so like we're in this like down, we're in this like people call it a downturn, people call it a winter. There's less activity in this space. Um, are you as bullish as you have been before? Like you've been in this for a while now. Um, what, what's your views on in your outlook going forward on, on this whole space? I mean, this is just part of the normal cycle, in my opinion. Um, it's when we have some great projects really come out on the other side. And unfortunately, it's we don't see a lot of new projects coming up right now. Uh, unless they're really good, right? And and so I think that this is just part of the normal cycle that we kind of need to go through. Um, and I'm excited to see what comes on the other side because this is kind of when new products are born that, that really deserve to have the airtime and airspace uh, as opposed to kind of a lot of projects were getting funded earlier that didn't really have the legs to stand on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, but there's still projects out there. There's still companies that are developing. Um, I really do think the next iteration of the internet is like right in front of us. Um, maybe the, the last question I'll ask you is, um, we hear the term Web3 a lot. Yeah. So, you know, Web3, obviously like, you know, the next version after Web2. Um, what what do you kind of categorize as Web3? And, and, and where do you see kind of like the future going in terms of like what the next iteration of the internet means for, for us and, and our kids and all that kind of stuff? Web3 is another umbrella term, mm. in my opinion. Um, and it's hard because I don't, know how it's going to materialize yet. So one of the use cases of Web3 would be something like the metaverse. And when I first heard about the metaverse, I was so excited because I assumed that metaverse had to be empowered by Web3, i.e. we were going to have one metaverse that everybody owned that was going to rise to the top. And over the last 18 months, like that's that not what's happening, right? We have pro- we're going to have a bunch of private metaverses where it's not necessary that you, the user is going to own their own data. Like there, it's it's not going to show up the way that we I had thought it would show up. Um, Do we know yet, though? Like, is it is it too early to know that? I mean, the I think it is trending towards, and I think if you look at if you follow the money it seems the likely outcome in terms of turning it to mass adoption will be some sort of private model, at least first. Maybe after the initial adoption, then maybe it will shift into something that's more decentralized or Mm. broadly owned. I don't know. Um, But I just think that one of the criticisms of the metaverse that aren't privately owned is just like they're kind of they're clunky they don't look that good like if you're gonna put the money and the time into making something that will be used on a broad base it's, it takes time and money and it's probably private yeah so maybe it's apple comes with a headset maybe that headset is used more in like the metas facebook's like environment and then the the more decentralized ones catch up after maybe yeah i, I don't know but I, like i just I love that we don't know, right? Yeah. There's no clear guidebook on like, oh yeah, this is what's going to happen next. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting. I mean, one thing that I'm certain of is the future will be more digital. Right? Yes. Like, like I got a, a one and a half year old and like when he's 10 or 15 or however, he's going to be in such a different environment than we are now. And we already spend so much of our time yes. in these digital environments. Yes. Um, and they're only going to get better. So I hope they, I hope... <clears throat> 
I'm not one of these people that think everything has to be decentralized, but I just hope people have more ownership over their things, and um, especially when it comes to their online identities and their online things. Or an appreciation for what you own and don't own, because yeah. I think that there's a lot of like, I, yeah. oh, I want this app. Yeah, I'll just check yes. I'll just check yes. And, and I don't think we really realize what we're giving up. Yeah. And I think over time, I think that I'm hoping that we become more aware of the decisions that we make. So, so um, I think I think we're up on time, but um, five years ago you were just kind of dipping your toe into this space. Do you think in five years you'll be you'll be still in it? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, I see. Part of the reason I really wanted to get in is because I wanted to be an industry leader. I wanted to stay through the highs and the yeah. lows because I believe in the people that are also in this space. Like I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I love the ability to like look at something and not just call it what it is, but like see something different, see some other potential in it. And I'm like really happy that it's not it's not just a one demographic. Like I do feel that this space is more diverse in its representation and age and background. And, and I think that that's really powerful. And I, I would love to play a small part in well, the, you, that you growth. A, you absolutely, you have, and, and, and you will. And thank you for being a part of this community. And thank you for the legal work <laughs> that you and, and the team at BLG are doing, because um, this space is going to get uh, more adopted and it needs to get adopted in a safe way and I think you guys are helping on, on the safe front uh, awesome. for sure. Thanks for thanks for coming on.